Hello and welcome to the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hartz, and tonight we're going to recap the Saints. Pretty thrilling, you know, one person's thrilling, one person's heartbreaking uh, victory uh, from the night they beat the Chargers 32-27 Monday Night Football. Uh, coming to you from Columbus, Ohio at 11.46 p.m. Eastern Time. Want to get through that game and then also go through some of the top waiver wire claims uh, for the week. So I know there's a lot of quarterback uh, needy teams out there now, some uh, running back wide receiver options. As always, want to do everything I can to get you guys set up with the right waiver additions. I feel like we've been doing a good job with this over the past few weeks, you know, being on Mike Davis, Justin Jefferson. Let's keep the momentum going. But first, let's talk this Chargers loss to the Saints. And really, you know, it was one of these situations where it definitely could have seen, uh, you know, if they play this game 100 times, uh, I think the Chargers come out with the win more times than not. All the credit to Justin Herbert on, you know, a performance that was all the more impressive when you consider that Keenan Allen uh, was out of the game, you know, early into the second quarter with a back injury that unfortunately kept him uh, sidelined for the rest of it. So no Austin Eckler, no Keenan Allen. Last week, Mike Williams was out of the game uh, early. I mean, it's just a situation where the rookie just keeps on balling. And, you know, it makes me think when we do see someone like Herbert just making plays kind of despite uh, of his uh, supporting cast sometimes. Like, what does that say necessarily about, you know, guys, uh, Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen, Dwayne Haskins, and people that I'm not giving up on necessarily, but, you know, we do talk about them not having, uh, you know, the sort of real, real fancy-friendly role or just not having the help around them that they need to succeed. You know, you do see some of these great quarterbacks, the Deshaun Watson coming up. I mean, I know not every situation is equal, but either way, Herbert is playing great uh, despite not having, you know, his top uh, performance teammates around him so all the credit to the world uh with him and that i mean first touchdown of the game was just wild i mean he they showed the uh, kind of all 22 of uh, you from behind and he literally had two free rushers uh coming at him he was able to evade them both rolled out to his right and hit keenan allen with a laser uh for the score later Finds Mike Williams around the goal line for a touchdown. Another one to Hunter Henry. I mean, look, they weren't the most incredible plays you'll ever see, but both times, I mean, NFL open. Like, it wasn't like these were wide open guys. Just more or less had a step, and Herbert was able to put him on him. So the arm strength on this guy, absolutely wild. Had another re- real beautiful connection with uh, Jalen Guyton deep, 48 yards. And then finally, uh, in the fourth quarter, to seemingly uh, put things out of reach, at least for a second, or at least give him the lead, 64-yard touchdown to Mike Williams. Uh, one of those situations where he was so wide open, open that I was expecting to see you know a pretty nice double move uh, when they did the wide receiver cornerback only cam in reality Mike Williams literally just ran right past I believe it was Patrick Robinson and the dude uh, clearly had a, a, a miscommunication with the safety and coverage scheme so you know 64 yards uh, in the book for Justin Herbert probably the easiest 64 yarder he'll get uh, in his career but hey a touchdown is a touchdown is a touchdown so even at the end in overtime once he had to try to go down the field and uh, get them a field goal for a tire touchdown the win I mean uh, Hunter Henry had a weird situation where he wasn't able to get his head around even though the ball was kind of on target and then KJ Hill passed on a little bit behind him but you know it hits your hands in the NFL you would like him to see uh see them come down with that so Last play of the game, wasn't able to uh, hook up for the first down with Mike, Mike Williams. He was stopped just short. Does a better ball, maybe, you know, lead him over the over the first down marker. Yeah, but, I mean, it's hard to, hard to take away too much from Herbert with his performance. You know, 264 yards, four touchdowns. Again, guy just continues to look good. At some point, we'll see a rookie floor. I thought it could be tonight. It was not. He's going to be an upside QB2 in fantasy football ends more weeks than not uh, with this sort of usage. Uh, with the Chargers backfield, so still waiting on some of the exact uh, snap counts to come out. Make 
sure you check out my uh, Wednesday article on PFF.com where I take stock of every single backfield around the league, break out the snaps, you know, what to expect if someone gets hurt and what to look forward to uh, in the upcoming week. So make sure you take a look at that. But just from the early, you know, uh, look away, I mean, this was definitely a win for Justin Jackson uh, on the game. I mean, he had a 36-yard run early on a draw where he cut to his right, made the safety miss, and just showed some real bursts out there. And look, I mean, 36 yards... Justin Jackson, I mean, the Chargers didn't have another player uh, rack up a rush of even 10 yards. So uh, it was a situation where, you know, didn't see a whole bunch of bursts from the run game, except when it was Justin Jackson getting the ball. I mean, another nice run in the fourth where he was just kind of carrying dudes for some extra yards. I mean, I saw a lot of people this week, you know, just kind of say, all right, Kelly's going to be the early down grinder and Justin Jackson's going to be kind of the Austin Eckler scat back. And just only because of their size was that comparison even being made. I mean, Justin Jackson was the Melvin Gordon for this offense during the first four games or excuse me, first three games of uh, last season. Then Jackson himself got hurt uh, while Melvin Gordon was holding out. So, you know, he's only 200 pounds, but he really does run harder and they're not afraid to use him between the tackles. So uh, it seemed like it was about a 55, 45, if not a 60, 40 split eventually in favor of Justin Jackson. Again, we'll get the exact numbers out later, but uh, he was the guy and particularly on passing downs. He ended up catching five balls uh, for 23 yards on six targets. Josh Kelly, only one target, uh, did catch it for nine yards, but a situation where Jackson might actually be in that Austin Eckler 60-70% snaps, you know, getting the receiving work, while it's Kelly that comes on, serves more of the early down guy, and takes the goal line work. So we didn't see anyone actually get touches around the goal line, but when uh, Herbert was hooking up, uh, with Mike Williams and Hunter Henry inside, you know, the 10 yard line, it was just, it was Joshua Kelly that was on the field. So, you know, it's one of these situations and I, I think uh, we did a good job breaking this down uh, last week for you all, but uh, just the kind of disparity between Kelly and Jackson was never, I think, as big as we made it out to be. I mean, when Kelly was working, uh, getting a lot of touches and stuff, Jackson was literally hurt. So now that Jackson's healthy, uh, we're seeing the incumbent back up in an offense play over the rookie. We're, you know, we've seen this uh, just time and time again around the league this year with uh, Gus Edwards keeping J.K. Dobbins on the bench, Jordan Wilkins briefly uh, keeping you know Jonathan Taylor from getting a little more involved. Uh, just situation where do not write off these incumbent uh, backup RBs. And as we spoke about Justin Jackson, guy truly was more talented than people give him credit for. So you know, but Herbert putting up numbers in this offense as long as uh, Eckler stays out, I do think Jackson is probably the more likely uh, candidate to kind of flirt with some borderline RB two value. Both guys are clearly going to stay involved, and I mean I don't, I don't think either one needs to be cut right now or anything like that, uh, or necessarily crowned but uh, definitely more of a 50-50 or if not 60-40 situation in Jackson's favor, I think, than we uh, thought going into the game mentioned before Keenan Allen has that back injury so hopefully he gets better. Mike Williams at the end of the game on the last play seemed like he got bent back a little weird. He was staying down for a second. They showed him walking off the field later but hopefully he can stay healthy because my goodness the plays this dude was making. I mean it's I just wish he would take, take better care of himself and it's part of what makes him so great that also makes him kind of injury prone sometimes. I mean the guy goes up and makes these wild contested catches and falls to the ground like a freaking sack of bricks and you know it's going up there with the reckless abandon and double coverage and you know uh, high pointing the ball like he did uh, at the end of the fourth quarter over Marshawn Lattimore to give them a field goal uh, to potentially win the game unfortunately hit off the upright but yeah truly can't say enough nice things about Mike Williams finished the game with 109 yards and two scores on eight targets uh, just truly beasting out there and you know it'll be nice seeing him uh, with Herbert because while Rivers okay like he was still putting up big numbers over these last few years uh, that fluttering sidearm deep ball wasn't always uh, you know on target when it was uh, Williams trying to 
chase it down. So he's had some weird fancy seasons back to back in uh, 2018, bunch of touchdowns, not that many targets in 2019, bunch of yards and not many touchdowns on not that many targets. So hopefully, uh, you know, we see him and Keenan Allen as they get healthier, really emerge as the top two guys in a high flying offense that this has the potential to be so. You know, it sucks that the Chargers lost. They are 1-4 and four at this point. Not exactly uh, the, the uh, season they were looking for or anything like that. But, you know, I think Justin Herbert been far more entertaining and has been far better as a, you know, fancy enabler for his teammates than we expected. So, uh, I you know, uh, I will say that I will enjoy watching these Chargers games uh, into the second half of the season. On the other side of the ball, the Saints, uh, you know, capturing a victory. Win is a win is a win. The Taysom Hill usage was just one hilarious note after another. And, hey, you know what? Uh, Taysom ended up scoring the game-tying touchdown at the end of regulation. Uh, nice little nine-yard scamper off of play action. But other than that, sheesh. And I get it. I mean, he would look like the best player on the field in that Vikings playoff game last year. Sean Payton knows more about football, you know, in his little finger than I ever will in my entire life. Like, I, I get it. Taysom Hill is not bad at football, per se, or anything. But, you know, is he overvalued with the contract? Doesn't make sense why they're consistently pulling Drew Brees off the field and trying to just put all this game planning around Taysom Hill instead of I don't know, Alvin Kamara or someone. Yeah, I don't get it. I don't think anyone gets it. Uh, but you know what? That's the reality we live in. Taysom ended up with three carries for 13 yards and also had three targets. Uh, caught two. Uh, I'm sorry, that was Traquan. Also had two targets. He did not catch either of them. So, you know, the nine-yard touchdown run, good for you on a working. But let's uh, let's try to get a little better than a one-for-five success rate uh, in the future with these Taysom Hill packages. Truly hilarious seeing, you know, the biggest moments of the game, uh, Payton Cone with Hill over Drew Brees. And, you know, Brees, it was looking rough in the first half. I mean, the cries for Jameis Winston on Twitter were reaching a fever pitch. Uh, he did get going afterwards. I mean, the two-minute drive where the Chargers just had their safeties playing back, you know, just continuously dumping it off to Kamara, uh, ended up with eight catches of 74 yards. Emmanuel Sanders did a great job separating underneath, 12 catches on 14 targets for 122 yards. And Jared Cook was able to actually create some big plays. Breeze hit uh, Cook for a 41-yard touchdown. I believe it was his longest uh, pass in terms of air yards for a touchdown since the 2017 season. So arm isn't completely dead yet. It does have signs of a, you know, 2015 Peyton. I'm very concerned uh, what this arm is going to look like, you know, if they make it into January and have to, you know, maybe travel to Green Bay or Seattle for an outdoor game. But uh, once Michael Thomas comes back, uh, I think we're going to see a situation where he and Kamara are so good underneath that they're probably going to make the most out of it and emerge as a double-digit win team uh, again and again. But so it's just, uh, again, with the Saints, can they be more when it matters? We've seen this year them really struggle to, you know, have that same sort of offensive vibe as we've seen in the past. I think until uh, Breeze can you know, really force these defenses off the line of scrimmage, we're going to continue to see that. Uh, whether or not, you know, getting a healthy Michael Thomas back and maybe transitioning Sanders in the more field stretcher role will work remains to be seen. So, you know, credit to Breeze getting the win. Had, had a uh, nice little fantasy night thanks to a touchdown on his little jump over the line from the one-yard line thing he always seems to score on. Uh, yeah, so... And Moving on to Alvin Kamara. Didn't have a ton of big plays. I mean, only 11 carries for 45 yards and you know, turned to eight catches and 74 yards. But incredible catch on a little contested wheel route they threw him uh, in the fourth quarter trying to get there uh, down the field. So, you know, really big 28-yard catch and had a linebacker all over him. So, you know, I mean, it was an unfortunate night where he wasn't able to find the end zone, you know, as uh, all the fantasy managers out there. I know you're expecting more, but still the undisputed league guy here. I mean, even with Latavius Murray getting eight carries for 34 yards, there's no doubt about, you know, Kamara getting his uh, 
uh, 15 to 25 touches per week with the overall majority of them being uh, receptions. You know, just a guy that we're going to continue to fire up as a top three uh, to top five fantasy back, regardless of the matchup during any given week. Other than those guys, I mean, I mentioned Jared Cook, Maya Sanders with the big night, and uh, Kamara. But other than that, no one had over uh, 35 rushing or receiving yards uh, for the squad. Traquan Smith really ghosting out there. You know, it was one of these situations where he looked so good the first game without Michael Thomas. And then we kind of saw that transition more towards Emmanuel Sanders. So, you know, getting Michael Thomas back will be great for the Saints offense. Hopefully the Chargers can get uh, Keenan Allen back before too long. These are two, you know, okay, I wouldn't call the Saints an entertaining offense. But at a minimum, uh, two offenses that can put up some points on the board so a uh, fun little monday night game looking forward to bill's titans uh, on tuesday we'll not be doing a uh, recap pod for that one we will be having you know our reg- regularly scheduled uh wednesday game by day game breakdown out uh be- with myself and pff's own Dwayne mcfarland also want to give a shout out to another pff pod uh pff and sunday night football's chris collinsworth is teaming up with one of the best players on and off the field 49ers all pro corner richard sherman the chris collinsworth podcast featuring richard sherman is available now wherever you find your podcast they'll provide the most interesting football conversation in sports every single week and sometimes that means a discussion will venture off the field too additionally chris will be t- taking a dive into the game of football as he sees it inviting in the best and brightest to talk about everything that's happening in the great game of football mark your calendars you do not want to miss the best 60 minutes of insight this season Love the stuff Chris and Richard are doing and love that's under the PFF umbrella. So hope you all enjoyed the Monday night game. Now I want to get on to some waiver wire thoughts. And, you know, big thing is quarterback. You know, if you had Dak Prescott on your squad, obviously you need to find someone else. And I would just, you know, especially if you're in a 10, 12 single QB league. I mean, look, on any given week, you know, you, you can almost get to 18 or 20 viable uh, quarterbacks. So this is not a situation where you want to blow your fab. I mean, getting a solid streaming quarterback is very useful. We need, you know, production at the position just like any other one. But I would say, you know, just in terms of fab percentages, uh, definitely don't uh, blow your load on the quarterback position. We are still using that for three down running backs, maybe wide receivers that, you know, can flirt with some wide receiver two uh, upside and like the just Jefferson, maybe Chase Claypool mode, uh, uh, spoiler, but you know, quarterback position, I would not be, you know, going too far out of my way to get these guys, but I do think they're set up well here in the new future. And we're starting with uh, Matthew Stafford. So uh, on the bye last week, but, you know, we talked about this on the podcast how the first two weeks of the year, we didn't see that same sort of gunslinger back there in 2019. Uh, Stafford led uh, all of the NFL in average target depth, did not see that uh, in this in this season and the early going. But Kenny Galladay, Kenny Galladay, excuse me, came back in week three and you just see the average target depth rise up. I mean, Matt, Matt Stafford was at 9.3 in week one, 8.8 in week two. Then went up to 10.2 in week three and finally 13.3 uh, true gunslinger levels in week four. So again, like part of the big reason why Stafford was so effective last year was because he was given Galladay and Marvin Jones, you know, even TJ Hawkinson, all his dope wide receivers, a lot of fancy friendly targets uh, downfield and they were making the most of it. So if that's going to come back, uh, it could come back in a big way for the whole passing game because they got a flammable schedule here coming up. Next up is the Jaguars then the Falcons, Colts, Vikings, football team, Panthers and Texans. That's week six through 12. That is best case scenario, people. So, you know, give me Stafford over Andy Dalton and, you know, moving on to him. So, yeah, with Dalton. 
I get it. He came out there. He looked pretty good. You know, I think he went nine for 11 and was able to get them a win. Cowboys offense is full of playmakers, but you know what? They're also no longer full of a great offensive line. I mean, without their starting tackles and their starting center, this is a situation that Dak Prescott made the best of and that Andy Dalton made the best of for 1.5 quarters uh, against the Giants kind of mediocre defense. So, you know, you know, Giants, they've had a rough start in the year. Maybe I'm being too harsh on their defense, but either way, expecting anything resembling QB1 production from Dalton uh, moving forward, I just think it's a reach. I mean, look, his career best year happened back in 2015. And Dalton, in my opinion, has always been a sum of his parts quarterbacks. If you can surround him with a lot of talent, you'll get a better version out of him. As we saw in the last few years with the Bengals, if you don't, uh, it's going to be a struggle bus fest. So, you know, in 2015, uh, we saw him, you know, A.J. Green, Marvin Jones, Muhammad Sanu actually had the healthy Tyler Eifert season. And that got him fancy QB 11 honors. I mean, he truly has never been a top 10, you know, consistent fancy quarterback in this league. I just have a hard time believing even in the year 2020, that's going to be the case. Again, I get it. Cooper, C.D. Lamb, Gallup, Zeke. I mean, these guys are great and a great, you know, skill position group. You want any quarterback uh, to be surrounded by. But the offensive line is a problem. We don't even know if the Cowboys are going to keep like working in the same way. I mean, look, I'm, <laughs> I know Booger and Tony Dungy have gone out there and said the Cowboys could actually be better because the new offense is going to, you know, keep the defense off the field and this or that. Like, I'm okay. Obviously, that's ridiculous, but there is a case to be made that having Dalton under center is that they're not going to be nearly as pass happy and they're going to maybe not run the same sort of offense. I mean, McCarthy was very upfront about the tempo being they want to go outscore people, score as many points as possible, run as many plays as possible it would make rational coaching sense if they no longer run the fastest pace in the league by a good three four seconds so there are a lot of factors kind of making this Cowboys offense as fancy friendly as it was with Dak uh, you know as the offensive line continues to kind of crumble if the pace goes down and we just see them lean more on the run game uh, don't be shocked if this receiving group as a whole has a lower ceiling and floor like so you know I get it again if you're in two QB league and you had Dak and you need Dalton that's fine uh, but just you know realize going into uh, this week let me get my quarterback ranks here. Uh, going into this week, uh, week, I mean, I am more willing to go with Stafford over Dalton. And mentioning that schedule moving forward, I mean, I think it's going to stay that way because the Cowboys uh, really aren't set up all that well. And yeah, this week, Matthew Stafford, I got as my QB 14 and uh, Andy Dalton's coming in as QB 16. So uh, just something to keep in mind there that, you know, we can try to project what's going to be the best case thing for Dalton coming in this new position. But uh, give me the guy that, you know, actually has uh, experience in his offense and isn't, you know, working behind so many reserves in the offensive line in uh, Matthew Stafford. So moving on to the running back position, Alexander Madison, hopefully you already have him on the squad because we've been preaching Madison, Murray, Pollard, and, uh, Edmonds, excuse me, ever since the offseason, these are the true, you know, three down backups that you can fire up as a top 12 back. And yes, if Dalvin Cook is out this week with the groin injury, which we'll see, he apparently said after the game, he's good. Uh, you know, didn't look like it was going to be a serious injury or anything, but is a situation where they're playing the 0 5 Falcons and they got a bye week and then a game against the Packers. So if they do give Dalvin a week off to get right, I mean, Madison is going to be anyone's idea of a top 12 uh, fantasy running back, if not, you know, top eight, because this matchup against the Falcons couldn't be better. And just all the credit to Madison for what he's done uh, over these two seasons. I mean, Dalvin Cook uh, this year, is, or, um, excuse me, over the past two seasons, 0.19 missed forced tackles per attempt. Madison just beneath him at 0.17. Yards per carry, Dalvin's at 4.8. Madison's at 4.7. Yards after contact per attempt, Dalvin 3.2. Madison 3.1. No one here is doubting that Dalvin Cook 
isn't better than Alexander Madison as a real life and fantasy football player. But Gary Kubiak's RB1 has been a cheat code for the better part of the last two, even three decades, if you want to go all the way back to the 90s. Right now, Madison is the Vikings RB1 as long as Dalvin Cook is sidelined. Because of that, we're going to treat him as a fantasy RB1. Do not worry about Mike Boone, Amir Abdullah. Truly, Madison is locked in as a three down back for the Minnesota Vikings as long as Dalvin Cook is on that sideline. Moving on, wide receiver uh, position a little bit here. Have a bunch of guys that I think are a possible options. So talked on the Sunday night pod a little bit. Uh, that came out Monday a little about Chase Claypool and Travis Fulgham. But I really think both these guys, uh, you look at the situation they're in, and okay, I'm definitely targeting Claypool over Fulgham. But, I, but literally, both guys, and we're talking one-two in the league right now in uh, yards per route run among everyone, they're playing so well in passing games that just haven't had much success. It'd be silly to not think that these guys are going to uh, like lose use moving forward. Chase Claypool is averaging 13.1 yards per target right now. Juju is at 7.8. James Washington is at 6.2. Deontay Johnson, 5.7. I mean, that's absurd. So literally one target to Claypool is picking up twice as many yards as one to Washington or Deontay this year. I mean, and it was not just a one-week bang. That's the thing. We see, I think when we fall into traps sometimes with these players, they have just a big one week and then their role goes back to normal and we don't see him pop up again. I mean, Claypool has made the most out of every single opportunity given his way so far this year. In week one, he had that wild catch down the sideline that I believe Next Gen Stats said still is the most improbable incompletion of the ceiling. In week two, he has the electric long 80-plus yard touchdown versus the Broncos. Week three, he gets one catch on a fly screen from like the 20-yard line, zips past two guys and, you know, gets down at the one-yard line, nearly scores, but helps put that game, game away. And you look at his touchdowns it wasn't like these things were super fluky I think he had one where he kind of roasted the linebacker uh, that was just based on you know shouldn't have had a linebacker on him fine but to get a rush attempt from the two-yard line like they chose to give him that rush attempt not Juju not anyone else they threw him a screen from that like kind of quad bunch formation that again was clearly designed for him and the dude had another touchdown that was actually nullified by a penalty and it's you know pretty questionable OPI in my opinion so I believe he capped off that same drive with a touchdown not saying he should have had five instead of four but again Claypool's been balling out all season the opportunity is going up even if Deontay comes back just fine now next week. I mean, you really think Deontay and Washington, while Claypool is out playing them this badly, are going to remain on the field? I think Deontay comes back. He'll probably still be out there, but, you know, very soon, very, very soon, if not next week and moving forward. I mean, I would bet it will be next week and moving forward. Uh, Chase Claypool is going to be playing as much as any other wide receiver in this Pittsburgh offense. And based on what he's done with these opportunities so far, uh, we could be looking at consistent wide receiver two value more weeks than not. And yeah, so with Fulgham, I wouldn't put the ceiling quite as high. I don't think the Eagles are nearly as good as the uh, Steelers right now. You know, I guess we'll uh, uh, kind of see what happens. I, I, it was a closer game, I think, than the scoreboard uh, suggested. But just this passing, I have more confidence in Rossberger and them keeping things going than Wentz, who, you know, probably had his best game of the season last week. But still in that performance, you know, way too many uh, turnover-worthy plays uh, throughout. So a little less confident in Fulgham. But like Claypool, I mean, not a one-week blimp. I mean, him having that go-ahead 42 yard score in week four in a game where they couldn't really get anything going again like Claypool Fulgham has been like the one source of life in this passing game this year so you know Djax Alshon Jeffrey uh, once their corpses get back out there like okay maybe Fulgham doesn't get quite as many snaps but again I just 
I find it hard to believe that in an offense that has been struggling as much as they have, the one guy that comes in and gives them some life uh, won't get the ball more. I mean, look look at this Eagles offense over the past uh, 12 months. The guys they've had to trot out there between Greg Ward, Greg Ward, Josh Perkins, you know, just giving Boston Scott way too big of a role. I mean, they've been looking for someone to step up. And now we got Travis Fulgham, 6'2", 215. Not the biggest burner, but, you know, a guy that really has some nice athletic intangibles and did some good things uh, in college. And one of my favorite sites for Pro prospects is a player profiler and their their comp for him is Mr. Michael Gallup. So I'm not saying Fulgham is necessarily Michael Gallup, but he's also not some random guy that no one has ever had a positive thought about that went out and had one good week. I think there will be more good weeks ahead for Travis Fulgham. Not willing to say, you know, the wide receiver too that Claypool could be, but, uh, you know, similar to the situation a couple weeks ago where I said, you know, please go prioritize Justin Jackson, go prioritize Chase Claypool. But on the other hand of that, uh, Justin Jefferson uh, statement, it was also look at T Higgins. I think we also need to look at Travis Fulgham behind Claypool, particularly when we consider the cost adjustments. So those are the main ones. A couple quick hits uh, for you guys before we get out of here. Uh, Tim Patrick, uh, tough matchup against the Patriots, obviously, but uh, you know at a minimum he is a top two pass game option in this Broncos offense, which could be worse, you know, considering some of the guys we got to put out there. Uh, Brandon Cooks, you know, mentioned last week not to freak out, not to freak out about the goose egg. He's maintained a full time role throughout this season. Uh, you know, Boomer Bush type, we get it. He can put up big games and also put up the goose egg. He's not get that Jaguars banged up secondary every single week, but he does get them one more time the next six weeks and he also gets the titans packers browns patriots lions so you know not one amazing matchup after the other or anything like that but uh we will continue to see more big games from deshaun watson and company ahead uh henry ruggs i mean awesome game he had the long 70 plus yard touchdown and then another just really good contested catch deep downfield but this like we we knew rugs could do this the problem with this is that Derek Carr doesn't consistently throw downfield now he did in week five I gave him all kinds of uh, props on the Monday podcast uh, you know thanking him for doing just that it's never been an issue of can Derek Carr throw it downfield it's will he throw it downfield and unfortunately with rugs like he only had three targets in this blow up game so he's gonna be out there they drafted him in the top 15 to be you know the guy he's gonna get more than three targets but you know this was still a situation where I think the really big upside for him going into the year was the thought that he could take over this passing game and be the true number one we know that is still Darren Waller and we know that while week five brought out someone different you know I'm not quite willing to assume that Carr is going to become this you know gunslinger chucking it downfield the rugs every chance he gets so you know ever Brian Evers coming back they really seem to like Nelson Aguilar and to Aguilar's credit he's been making some plays out there uh, I just don't have much confidence in this Raiders passing game behind Darren Waller I know Carr's doing good things and hey if you can go get rugs it's helpful to have someone that, you know, has these big games in their range of outcomes. But again, not someone I'm looking to, you know, blow the fab all the way on and not someone that I would expect more than, you know, boomer bust wide receiver three, wide receiver four production from uh, happy me. Cole Hardman season. Everyone Sammy Watkins expecting to miss some time with this hamstring injury. And yes, you know, the handcuff wide receiver that we've been hyping up on this pod for some time is here. Now, maybe this Marcus Robinson does his thing, but at a minimum, we're now in a situation where it's going to be Tyreek Hill, Michael Hardman, Demarcus Robinson, Travis Kelsey out there on the field for the Chiefs. More snaps than not. That's all we can ask for in four games without Tyreek Hill. Last season when this was the case, we saw Hardman go four catches, 61 yards, and a touchdown. Two catches, 97 yards, and a touchdown. Two catches, nine yards, zero touchdown, dud. And then four catches, 79 yards. So, you know, he'll be boomer bust to some extent. But you know what? When Patrick Mahomes is under center, uh, a lot of people around him tend to boom. So he is someone that I'm going to be prioritizing getting. 
getting in the lineups of all shapes and sizes starting this week, assuming uh, Watkins is in fact going to miss multiple weeks with this hamstring injury. Finally, last note is on a LaVisca Chenault. Uh, so Minshew, among all receivers that he's targeted at least 15 times, Chenault is averaging a team best 10.36 adjusted yards per attempt uh, from Minshew. To Chark, uh, Minshew has averaged 10.35 yards and no one else is over 10. So truly a situation where, you know, of, of everyone we've seen Minshew give at least 15 targets to over the last, uh, you know, season and five weeks, it has been LaVisca and then Chark as the top two options, which I think backs up what we've been seeing and, you know, good on the Jaguars for continuing to get uh, Chenault more and more involved as a receiver. His targets by game have gone four, four, six, six, and most recently eight we haven't seen the same rushing workload but we know they like him for that we know this role is still evolving and we know it's going up in the right direction so I don't know if we'll ever get, you know, a feature thing out of him. The, the role we want is, you know, three to five rush attempts per week with five to eight targets on top of that. We'll see. You know, they clearly love the guy. He's making some big plays, doing some good things in terms of, you know, yards after the catch and breaking tackles. Uh, but he is someone to have at the end of the bench because, again, if if you're getting this type of workload, six to eight targets per week, we can fire that up uh, anytime while we got guys on by and while we got injuries happening. So uh, thank you, everyone, for tuning in, as always, to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast, coming to you every Monday. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday uh, throughout the season. Please check me out on Twitter at iHeartis if you want to know when these podcasts will be out in the morning. And I also got some articles out every day of the week as well. So thank you for listening as always. Before we get out of here though, one quick shout out to uh, our friends at Monkey Knife Fight. You know, if really, if you want a discount on PFF, uh, do not do not go on Twitter looking for a discount code. All you got to go to is Monkey Knife Fight. Put $20 in their account while using promo code PFF. That will give you a free PFF Edge annual subscription. So $40 value for just $20. And who's to say you're even going to lose that $20? You can go play daily fantasy and prop games at one of the fastest growing fantasy sports sites in the USA in Monkey Knife Fight. So go to Monkey Knife Fight. Deposit your $20 with promo code PFF today to receive your free PFF Edge annual subscription. That's going to do it for me, everyone. Thank you, as always, for listening to the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And until next time, take care.